one with a W by one. One by one. And that is actually going to be the theme, like I said, the charge for the church this year. I believe that we are in the last days. I believe that if you as a believer can't sense that, there's something wrong. I believe that if you can't feel an urgency, a troubling in your spirit about the days that we are living in and the nearness of the return of Christ and our mission to go out and share the gospel to a lost and dying world before it is too late for them, then I, then I don't know what more I could possibly do to motivate you or encourage you other than to continue to give you the word to say we have got to be engaged in fulfilling the Great Commission as a church. So one by one is the title of the message. I won't make you stand and read for a second time. But we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 46 specifically is what we're going to look at. Do any of you have pet peeves? You don't have to shout them out. Do you have pet peeves, things that irk you, irritate mm -hmm. you? We all probably do. One of those for me is a little phrase. I don't know when it became popular, but I, I've heard it for years and I still hear it sometimes. Mm -hmm. I might hear it. It just goes through me. And that is this phrase that says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That drives me insane because it, it's an oxymoron. How do you preach, which carries with it the idea of verbally proclaiming something and not use words. I get the premise behind it. I understand that our lives proclaim a message, that if we speak eloquently, but our lives don't match what we say, then it doesn't mean anything. So I do understand the intent behind that saying, but I believe it's very misleading as to what our call as believers is to do, and that is to take the gospel out into the world and communicate that verbally with people that are lost. I'm going to give you a couple of verses this morning. Mark 16, 15. Mark 16, 15 says, Jesus speaking to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here's another one. Romans 10, 14. How then... Shall they, this lost and unbelieving world, how shall they call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now listen, we read those verses, especially the one from Romans, and we think, well... Pastor Chris, you've got a lot of work ahead of you because it says there that you need to go and share the message because they need a preacher. Well, listen, I am called into the office of a pastor. There is a difference between a pastor, an overseer, an under-shepherd, and someone who preaches the gospel. I got news for you. If you are a Christian, you are a preacher. You may be here today for the first time, or maybe you've been here for a while and you never knew this, but now today you will. If you look at that verse in Mark 16, 15, I want you to highlight, underline, or file it away in your mind that word preach. And I want you to do the same thing in Romans 10, 14. At the very end, that word preacher. Because you are in a church today that is called K. Russo. 
And that is the very word that you see there in those scriptures and many others that talks about proclaiming a message. The very premise that this church was founded on was that we would be a church that not only preaches truth in here, but goes out there and proclaims that message to a lost and dying world. That is our duty. That is why we exist, to proclaim the truth to a world that is devoid of it. If ever we are living in a day where truth is falling in the streets, it is now. And we have got to be engaged in sharing the message that the world needs to hear. The good news, the gospel, is that sinners are separated from God, yes, and there's nothing they can do to fix that, but Christ has done everything for them to be reconciled to God if they will believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. K. Russo is not just a name. It is who we are. And I pray that I can continue to challenge you more than that, that God would continue to challenge you to become preachers of the gospel. You don't need a pulpit. I just said, God does not need me to stand up here to fulfill his work. Jesus said the rocks would cry out and praise him if need be. But we are privileged as his children to be enabled and gifted and called and to go out into the world and fulfill this work. You have an audience in your circle. You don't need a church building to stand up and preach from. The world is your pulpit. No, your home is your pulpit. Your workplace is your pulpit. Your school is your pulpit. Preach the gospel to every creature. It's our duty. And I want us to look from John's gospel today at how these early disciples heard the message preached and how they took it and it multiplied. And these few people became a church that spread throughout the world. Listen, you may call me naive, you may call me foolish, but I believe that the gospel still saves. And I believe that it is still what is necessary to see the lost come to Christ. It's what impacted Krista's life. It's what changed my life. It's what changed anyone's life who claims the name of Jesus. It is the preaching of the word alone that is able to change hearts and lives. That's why I believe it so strongly. It is the inspired, infallible, perfect, authoritative Word of God. And it can change anyone's life. So if you're here today and you say, I wish this was for me, it's for you. It is for you today, for sure. But I want you to see three things today. And I pray that this is the challenge that our church will take up and embrace. Not just today, not even just for 2024, but for the rest of your life. That this will become your mission to be a preacher of the gospel. So number one, I want us to think about how do we do this? We have to intentionally speak the gospel. Look at John chapter 1. We'll begin at verse 35 and I'll go to verse 36 and stop here. The next day, so there had been a series of events that John had been talking about. And John the Baptist had already been out. He was the forerunner of Christ. So he came before Jesus to prepare the way. He had been preaching a message of repentance that many people were hearing. He was baptizing people in the Jordan in this message of repentance. He was preparing them for the coming of Christ. And he had already said many times that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then again, we come to verse 35, it says, The next day, John stood with two of his disciples. So at this time, they were followers of John, not Jesus. And verse 36 says, looking at Jesus. So imagine the scene. They're standing here. They're looking out. And here is Jesus. And John fixes his gaze on Christ. 
looking at Jesus as he walked, John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Don't bypass those words today. He wasn't just saying to them, Hey, look, there's Jesus. The word behold is a command. It's in the imperative. So he was saying, Hey, you need to look right now. The one that is walking by, look at him. Look to him. It doesn't just mean to be fixated with your eyes. It means to embrace him, trust him, understand who he is. And that's why John follows it up. And he uses the definite article. In the Old Testament, over and over, especially on Passover, lamb after lamb was slaughtered, the blood continually flowing, the smoke coming up from the altar. But he says this is the Lamb of God. There is no other. There's none other needed. He is the final sacrifice for sin. Christ is all that is necessary for our sins to be dealt with. He says, behold, look now urgently at this Lamb of God. In Isaiah 53, I believe this language would have been so familiar to the people of that day. In Isaiah 53, listen to what he says in verse 7 and then dropping down to verse 10. Speaking of the Messiah, 700 years before he would come, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as what? A lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him or to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That is the message that we are to Russo, that we are to proclaim, that we are to preach to a lost and dying world, that God would send His only Son. He is the offering that we needed. Listen, you can come to God with your hands full of all kinds of stuff, all your accolades, all your good works, all your church attendance, all your money, all this and all that. It's filthy rags before God. It's rubbish. It means nothing. You think that God that created all this needs anything from you or me? It's all His. He gave us what we needed. We don't give Him anything. God is not incomplete. God is completely fulfilled in Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit needs nothing else. He didn't create us because He was lonely or bored. He created us to worship Him. And sin has separated us from Him. And yet He has done everything to reconcile people back to Him today. Through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. It pleased God. Think of that. To send your Son... On such a mission, what love must the Father have had for His people, for His creation, to be willing to give His Son for us, to give His Son for you? You say, I just feel so, un I hear people say all the time, I feel so unloved. I feel so lonely. If you could only understand the love of God in Christ for you, that He would do something like that. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were as far from Him as we could be, He had us on His mind. And He sent Christ for us. That is the message that we must take into the world, church. There is nothing else that's going to help them. They're frantically searching everywhere for some kind of hope, for some kind of peace, 
for some kind of acceptance. I am convinced that many of the movements and schisms that we see in our world today are centered around the fact that people are desperate for relationship and community and they go to places where ultimately it fails them. And listen, even at times the church fails in that mission to people. But yet if we keep it centered around Christ and we keep pointing them back to the one that will never leave or forsake them, that is the fulfillment of what they are seeking and searching for. It's right before them. He is available and present. And whosoever will call upon his name can be saved. That is the message that we must speak. But not only are we to speak this message, we have got to go out in the world and seek those who need it. Far too often churches have become content to just say, we need to host events and they will come here. We are, many churches have become what we would call attractional. If we just have good music and good programs and good this and good that, people will beat down our doors. Listen, that method was very effective 60, 70 years ago. We are not living in that same world. I don't know about you, but I don't know if any church that just puts on their sign service at 11 and the doors get knocked down when people are trying to get in here. It's not that way anymore. There are a million things competing for their time and their treasures and their eternity. And we have got to go to them. We have got to seek them out. We have got to take the message out there and let them know who Jesus is because they're simply not going to come here to see us. Look at what our text says as we go on down through this. So John challenges these two to look to the Lamb of God. And they do. In verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And they had this conversation with Jesus and he invites them back to where he is staying. But I love what happens next. And this is what should happen when we, as unbelievers, come to Christ and get saved. And, and here's the problem. If you talk to anybody that's a Christian, they say, man, when I got saved, I was on fire for God. I wanted to tell everybody. I went around and witnessed. I went around and evangelized. I didn't miss a church service. But almost universally, those same people sat, tell me at some point, but, but, sadly, I don't do it like I used to. Church isn't as important as I used to. I don't witness like I used to. I don't have that fire and that desire like I used to. Why is that? Why is that? I'm going to make another outlandish claim maybe in, in your minds. But I don't think that that should ever dwindle. I think there are reasons why it does. And I'm not standing up here and saying mine hasn't, my light hasn't dimmed many times too. But I'm saying that shouldn't be acceptable. It shouldn't be normal. We shouldn't say, well, it's been three years. Now I need to take a break from Jesus. Oh, Jesus thing. No, we should never get tired about telling people about Jesus. I don't ever want to get tired and make this routine. I don't want to ever just say, well, it's time to act this out and go to church. I get to go to church. I get to gather with people that I love and worship them. I get to preach the word. That is a privilege and an honor. We should never take any of this for granted because God has enabled us to do it. And listen, look at what happens after these two disciples come. It says in verse 40 of John chapter 1, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now notice, so Andrew hears John about to say, behold, the Lamb of God, he follows Jesus. Jesus takes him back to where he's staying. They have a conversation. I believe that Andrew commits his life to Christ in this moment. And so as a new believer, verse 41, what's he going to do with this newfound faith? He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. 
And then drop down to verse 45. Philip, so then Philip, here's the good news. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I want you to think about what's going on here. These folks are coming to Christ. And then they are going to people that they care about deeply and sharing with them this Jesus, sharing the good news, sharing the message of what happened to them. I read a statistic this week as I was preparing this message and I wrote it down. This, this writer said only one person is reached for Christ for every 85 church members in America. One person. For every 85 Christians. That means in a church our size, we're getting about maybe one and a half. I hope that's not true for us. God, don't let that be true for us. May we be sharing the gospel with more than one person for every 85 people in our church. That's tragic. That's a tragic thing to think about. A couple of years ago, I decided to put, I used to have a garden, and that's what's so much more. God bless you if you put out a garden. But I decided I was going to do it easier and just put up some small raised beds by the house. Right? I had to lug water out to them. I could just be lazy and open up the door and spray them with a hose and be done. And so one of the things that I put out there was strawberry plants. Don't ever put strawberries out. They're great, but man, they go everywhere, don't they? I didn't realize. I thought I had this box. I forget how big the box was. And I thought, man, I need to probably fill this box up. Uh, there's way too many strawberries in the box because now there's strawberries all over half the yard. Because what they do is they shoot out runners. And the runners go out, I don't know, several feet. And then they go down in the ground and they grow roots and a new plant comes up. And then it shoots out runners. And so my 12 strawberry plants are now 12,000. I don't know how many out there. They're everywhere. If you guys want strawberries, don't buy any of this summer. I'll have plenty. But the thing about it is, what a great illustration that was for me. I thought about that. They continue to spread. They, did, they set roots in, and then they shoot out more. Isn't that what it's like when we share the gospel, and then they take it to someone else, and then they take it to someone else? The church grows by this multiplication. And I see that happening here in the early chapters of John. Jesus continually challenged people to follow him. But he went to where they were. He didn't just chill at the synagogue and say, well, it's Saturday. I hope a good crowd comes today so I can tell them all about me. He went to them. He went all over in his ministry finding people. In Matthew 4, 19, he goes and he finds these fishermen. And he says to me, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now listen. I'm not an avid fisherman. I've been a little bit. Some of you out there might be avid fishermen. But I do know this. Most of the time, if you're out on a boat fishing, the fish don't jump in the boat. you got to catch them. you got to know where to fish, what bait to use, what time of day. A lot of things go into it. It's not always just as easy as putting a worm on the hook and throwing it in there. The fish don't come to the boat. We've got to go to them. And Jesus modeled that for us. And he gave us what's called the Great Commission. We quote it all the time. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I want you to look at that for a minute. I want you to look at verse 19 with me. And I want you to think about what Jesus says. In the opening lines of that verse, he says, Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all the nations. Now, I know I, I, I probably aggravate a lot of you with this teaching over and over again, but it's something that I try to hammer in your head. In verse 19, he says, go, and then what's the next word? Why, church, you better get this right. What is that? What is it there for? You always, when you see that word, ask yourself, what is it there for? It's always pointing you back to what was just said. Maybe in the previous verse, maybe in the whole chapter. But it's pointing you back. So Jesus says go because of something. He's given, there's a reason to it. So let's look at verse 17 and 18 of that chapter. And then we'll understand what the therefore is. So in verse 17 it says, when they saw him. Listen, isn't it strange? You can be in a church service. And people will respond in entirely different ways. It's going to happen today. We'll give an invitation a little bit later. And there will be two classes of people in this church. Because there are every week in any church. And they're found in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But something happened. You are either going to leave here worshipping God, surrendered to him, or you are going to leave here full of doubts, full of fears, full of excuses, and not do what he wants you to do. That's the reality of every human being who has ever lived. When they saw him, they worshipped him and summed out it. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. He's telling them the reason to go is because as worshipers to the first group, they have now met this Christ. And they know the good news of this Christ. And they understand who he is. And you can't keep that good news to yourself. We do this with silly things that don't matter. Have you ever went to a restaurant for the first time? And man, it is phenomenal. It is fantastic. What do you do? You tell everybody. Man, you get on Facebook, this is the best food I've ever had. Blah, 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 blah. And you tell people, hey, you need to come with me next time and have this food. It's fantastic. If we do that with food, why wouldn't we do it with the bread of life? Why wouldn't we do it with the best thing that was ever been given to us? And so he says, all this authority has been given to me. And so I am sending you with my authority. When you speak, when I preach up here in this pulpit from this book, you are speaking with the authority of God. I don't have any authority of myself. I can't save you. I can't make you do anything. But when God gets a hold of your life, he will draw you and convict you and he will change you. But you have got to be willing to step out in faith and trust Him. You can't be a doubter. Some worshiped and some doubted. You can't do both. It is impossible to worship God with doubt, and it's impossible to doubt when you're in the presence of God in worship. It's got to be one or the other. And if God is calling you today to trust Him, then trust Him with your life. And if you've done that, then go and tell others to do the same thing. To trust Him and believe on Him. He says... Go and make disciples. You can't make disciples if you're not going. You have to go first. And you have to seek people. As you read the scriptures, I hope that you're doing a reading plan this year. I want to challenge you and encourage you as individuals. Find a reading plan. Find something doable. I don't say even you have to read through the Bible in a year. But get into the Bible every day at some measure, some degree. But when you read, I want you to notice this as you read this year. When we think about people that are born again in the Bible and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what do you think 
the number one term used for people that are followers of Jesus is? Well, we call ourselves or people that believe in Jesus Christians. The Bible uses that term, but not much. That word's found three times in the New Testament. What about the word believer? They're a believer. We use that word a lot. It's only found 12 times in the New Testament speaking directly of someone that's a believer. So what word would the New Testament distinguish Christians and believers as? A disciple. Exactly. 252 times that word is used in the New Testament. Vance Havner, one of my favorite pastors, preachers of years ago, he said this, salvation is free. The gift of God is eternal life. It is not cheap where it costs God his son and the son his life, but it is free. However, when we become believers, we become disciples, and that will cost us everything we have. Our Lord was after disciples, not mere joiners. How many times did people follow Jesus in the Gospels? And then as soon as things got a little bit difficult, they didn't follow him anymore. Remember in John chapter 6 when they all came because he turned the bread multiplied the bread and the fishes and they wanted more miracles and they wanted more stuff. And he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part with me. And man, the more he talked, the matter they got, the more confused they got. And by the time he was finished, they had over 10,000 people in the prayer meeting when it started. And by the time it finished, Jesus got down to 12. If the pastor did that, if I did that today, you'd fire him. If we had this many people one week and I got up here and got up to y'all so mad that the next week there was 10, 12 people in here, you'd say, man, he's ran off everybody. We need to get rid of him. Jesus did that every week. He preached the truth and people left the building. They didn't follow him anymore. And he goes to Peter in John chapter 6. And he asked him. He says, are you going to leave also? And here is the answer that a true believer will give. Peter said to him, to where shall I go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we believe and we know that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, I don't care what you say. I don't care how bad you hurt my feelings, how many times you step on my toes. I know who you are. I've trusted you. I believe you. And if you say it, I'm going to go with it. That's the answer that true followers of Christ will say. I'm not asking you to follow me. Don't follow me, matter of fact. But follow him. Get in his word. And if it says it in this book, go with it. Yes, it will be uncomfortable. Yes, it will hurt your feelings. Yes, it will sever relationships. Yes, it will sever family members. Yes, it may cost you your job, your comfort, and maybe your life. But it will never be wrong to follow Jesus. Never. But it will always be wrong to not follow Jesus. And you've got to make that decision on a lot of things in your life. And you've got to go and find people and make disciples, church. That is our duty, is to make disciples. It's a follower of Christ. And that's our duty. And I want to ask you today, who are you seeking to disciple? You can name one person. And I'm not just saying somebody that's in your mind. And I think about this person a lot. That's great that you think about it. But God didn't just put them on your mind to think about it. He put them there for you to go to. And make disciples. Yeah, I'm scared to do that, Pastor. I am too. I'm scared to get up here every week. I'm scared to witness to people. This isn't easy. It doesn't, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's still not easy. It's still scary to walk up to somebody and talk about Jesus but I have to do it. And when I do it, when I step out of faith and obedience, it, it gets very easy because he takes over. He's in control. All authority has been given to him. 
I'm just the vessel. You're just the vessel. Stop worrying about having all the right words, all the right answers, all the right this, all the right that. Just give them Jesus. Just point them to Christ. Open up this book and walk them through the Bible and say, do you know this Jesus? If you died tonight, would you have a relationship with him? Are you sure? How do you know? Point them to Jesus. And then it's up to them. Your job is done. But we have got to go to them. We've got to speak and we've got to seek. And the last one and I'm done, we have got to summon the people to make a decision. It drives me crazy when I listen to people preach, especially pastors in the church. And they get up there and, man, they do a fantastic job. Preach the gospel with power and authority. And then they come at the end of the service and they say, well, thank you for coming. See you next week. What? <laughs> what did you just do? You took everything that you just spent all that time in preparation for, and you implored people to trust Jesus, and then you didn't give them a chance to trust Jesus. You sent them out the door just as lost as they came in. Listen, I'm not saying that walking an aisle or praying a prayer saves anybody. It's faith in Christ, and you can do that in your car, in your living room, or in the church. But I'm telling you, when you preach the gospel, there has got to be an invitation to come to Him. Otherwise, you've wasted the opportunity. I don't believe for a minute that it's up to me to save anybody, but woe to me if I don't say at the end of every message. Now, listen, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this message? You have got to respond. Look at what happens as Philip and others come to Christ. Philip, it says, well, let's start pick up at verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathan nailed and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46. And Nathan nailed said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Listen, there is a whole world out there full of skeptics and Christ deniers and heathens and pagans. And I know sometimes when you share Jesus, they've got all kinds of excuses and all kinds of rebuttals and all kinds of justification for their sin. But I need you to just keep preaching the gospel to them and say, come and see for yourself. Yes, you might have ran into some hypocrites at the church that don't live the way they're supposed to. Yes, you might have been hurt in the church. Yes, you might have been molested by somebody in the church. God, that's terrible. I'm so sorry that happened to you, but listen to me. Come and see Jesus for yourself. Don't look at Jesus through the imperfect lens of people. Look at the perfect Christ as he is. Because listen, church gets a bad rap. And I have never shied away from calling out church when church is wrong. This church, church down the road, it doesn't matter. When we blow it, we need to own it. When we sin, we need to own it. When we fall short, we need to own it. We don't need to make excuses. It doesn't help anything. We need to be honest because we don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. I am just continually growing and learning in my walk with Christ. But I want to say this. The church does far more good than it does bad. But the only thing people hear about is the bad. Because bad news spreads. And you can have a hundred good meals at a restaurant. And one time that you have a bad meal, you're like, I'm done here. I'll never be back. It's true. Man, everybody's going to have a bad meal sometime. If you come here long enough, you will get hurt. Guaranteed. Might be me. It doesn't. I would never hopefully intentionally do it, but I might be the one. And I want to tell you this. As many times as we fail you, Jesus never will. And as many times as you might get hurt in church, it's worth it. Who is that? To come to a church. And to be engaged and active in the church. 
Because I've walked through some dark times and I've run into Christ in my church family, and I don't think I would have wanted to my twin. And so it is worth it. Challenge them. Preach to them. When Jesus talked to Philip, verse 43, look at this. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said two words to him. Follow me. That's all that we are asking sinners to do today. Follow Jesus. Put their faith in Him, turn from their sins, and follow Him. That's what a disciple does. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Not a fan, but a follower. Not part-time, but a surrendered follower full-time of Jesus Christ. Are you a disciple? I'm not asking you if you're a Christian in name only. I'm asking you, are you a follower of Jesus? Do people see that in your life? Are you making a difference by going out in the world and telling people about Jesus? If you're not, I'm not here today to shame you, but I am here today to challenge you, and I'm here today to charge you that today is the day it needs to start, and it never needs to stop again. You have got to get out there and tell people about Jesus, because the kingdom grows through multiplication. The church will grow as the kingdom grows. I'm not worried about growing the church. The church will naturally grow as people come across that's the result. Too often people write books and have seminars and all this stuff about church growth. Listen, it's real simple. You can grow a church to 10,000 people. The problem is about 9,800 of them are lost. They come in here to be entertained, to get free stuff, to listen to good music, and they go home and say, yeah, well, if they come, they might get saved. Well, yeah, they might. If you take the gospel out there to them, they'll probably get saved too. And then they'll come in here as believers and be part of the work that we're trying to do, and they'll reach more unbelievers. We will reach far more people going out and taking the gospel than we will doing awesome programs and music here trying to get people to come. I can promise you that. The whole world was turned upside down by the evangelism of the early disciples. Not by just hanging out at the church and doing stuff. I'm not against doing stuff. It's great. There's a good time. We do stuff here all the time. That's not a bad thing, but that can't be our number one method because that's not biblical. The biblical method is to go and make disciples and challenge them. Call them to a decision. What will you do with Jesus? He said, follow me. Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. John 21, 22, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That is the call of Jesus and it's the call to you today. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him to the cross where you can be saved? And will you follow him from the cross out into a lost and dying world to where you can share the good news for others to come and know Jesus? That's your mission. That's mine. That's yours. That's every believer to proclaim the Caruso, the good news, to seek out people that need that and to summon them to make a decision for Christ. We're going to give an invitation now. Shane, Phyllis, you come. And during this invitation, I, I am publicly calling you to respond to Jesus. If you don't know him, today is the day for you to repent of your sins and trust Christ. 
And if you are a follower, I am challenging you. And I want you to make this a public profession. I think. So what, what do you mean by that? I'm waiting to see. You might notice we have a cross up here in front. We have these crosses that are up here around. Many prayer requests are put on these crosses. And I want you to continue to do that. But I want this cross to be for something else specific. There are cards down there and a basket at the bottom. And at some point, whether it's today, I hope it's today, but I want you to put the name of someone or a family, someone in your life that's lost. And I want you to commit to pray for that person. I want you to commit to share the gospel with that person. And I want you to commit to believing that by the end of this year, if the Lord tarries and he doesn't come back for us, that those folks that we started praying for today, there won't be any names left in that basket of unbelievers. Because when they come to Christ, I want to put them on the cross. I'm going to hang them up like that. And I pray by the end of the year, that cross is filled up. This one's filled up on both sides with the people we've been praying for to come to Jesus. And so that's your challenge. But I'm not just asking you to pray, and I'm not just asking you to put a piece of paper on I'm asking you to get involved with the work of spreading the gospel. And believe that Jesus is able to save your friends and family and loved ones this coming year. So that they can, too, as Krista did today, have her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And know that when her life ends here, eternity begins with Christ. Father, we thank you today. So much for this church, for what we've seen and felt already, God. And as we go into this invitation, God, burden us. Give us an urgency. Give us a renewed vigor and sense of, of awe and, and, and just the calm on our life, God, that we can make a difference. No matter, we might have been sharing the gospel for the last 20 years with somebody, and all they do is reject us and ridicule us and mock us. And we've allowed the enemy to come into our life and say, it's hopeless, there's no chance, just quit, just give up. God, remove those thoughts today and allow us to say, until, I, until my dying breath, I will keep on sharing Jesus. I will keep on praying and I'll keep on believing because you are able and I'm trusting that you are going to save my loved one and that you are going to use me as a vessel to reach them. God, have your way in our hearts and in our lives today and we give you praise for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand, as we sing, the altar is open. If you need to come